For first time buyers, it's welcome news when property prices start falling. But what looks like a great opportunity might conceal a long-term problem. In this episode, we discuss the warning signs. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about whether it's really a good idea to chase opportunities in a buyer's market. It's tempting to look for suburbs where prices have fallen the most, but is this the wisest course of action? But before we get into that, what is your special house this week, Megan? Do you remember a a few episodes ago, I I showed you the basket building? Yes. Well, I've gone down a little bit of a tangent, Um, so it's not a house. But this one is uh, the fisheries department in India. So for those of you who aren't watching, who are just listening, honestly, do yourself a favour and jump on YouTube and have a look because this is a fascinating building. It looks like a fish and you enter under one of the fins. So it's not really a building that could be easily repurposed though. No. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's you know, the fish markets perhaps or but you know what's so weird is it's pretty it's pretty ugly. It looks like some weird dolphin. (laughs) Imagine being briefed as an architect. We are the fisheries department of India and we would like a fish. It would have been a lot nicer. Sort of a building with scales on the outside of it or something. But um I'm sure I can find one. You've set me with the task. There you go. Find a building with scales (laughs) on it. And I do think you have far too much time in your hand, Megan. Uh, (laughs) You can dig these things up. But I just find it fun on a a Monday night at eight o'clock when the kids are in bed. (laughs) What are we going to put on the podcast this week, says Megan? (laughs) All right. So let's get stuck into this episode all about whether you should be bargain hunting or not. Yeah, and the inspiration for this one came from a domain article titled, These are the Opportunities, the suburbs where property prices are cheaper now than they were five years ago. (laughs) Mm, mm, You know, alarm bells start ringing already, but let's explore a little bit further. (laughs) I know. It's like, at first it sounds compelling. Oh, my God, great. I can buy it. At five, at 2017, 2017 prices, yay, I'm going to feel like a real hero. And you go, hang on a minute, 
if they can go backwards so dramatically, particularly where you had price rises in 2021 as steep as they were, mm. what could possibly be wrong? <laughs> what could possibly be right? <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. there's a lot of reasons why prices did escalate at such a rapid pace in in that 21 22 period um but of course you know it's it is starting to um settle down taper down and some prices are going back it's in some areas but importantly and we always talk about this veronica and i can't stress it enough there is no australian property market so we can't talk about the market going up or the market going down probably the only time we could do that and I don't know that it's ever happened any time since records were kept previously, but it was the post-COVID period where almost every market went in a similar direction. In, but yeah, yeah, across the country. But so we're everything going went now, down in May 2020, and then everything started yeah. going up again from about October 2020. October, November, just yeah. you know, went went nuts. Um, but now we're going to see markets start to be need to be separated again and looked at in isolation and their own sets of criteria because wrapping up. Even at the moment, we're seeing the media talk about the Australian property market prices going down but really when they break that down even by capital city it is sydney and melbourne and it's not significant you know it's not huge decreases um and then the other capital cities are sitting at probably you know reasonably level maybe slightly increased um i even saw one breakdown the other day into the dollar value based on the median of the increases mm. and decreases um sydney was i think it was about eighty thousand or something brisbane was about a thousand dollar rise in median house price over the, over that month not overly helpful really no Mm. So we really need to start focusing on dry, really driving down into that that suburb and property type level when we're talking about price increase and decrease. Well, that's the thing too, because like let's face it, over the past, like you say, we've had this unique situation over 2021 where it looked like the entire country was rising, some rising more than others and probably overshot the mark. I mean, you've got yeah. um, in this article, it talks about Sunshine Beach at Noosa and the Alpine town of Jindabyne, New South yeah. Wales, just at sort of the bottom of the, um, you know, Threadbow and Perisher and those places, had seen prices rise by only 200%. In, in this five-year period we're talking about. Mm. So that's fabulous, um, you know, to double in that time. And others like Tenerife in Brizzy, you'll know that, Anglesey in Geelong and Palm Beach and Sydney's Northern Beaches, more than doubled, right? But the thing is, I know, like I've talked to P Palm Beach, for instance, that had underperformed for years. So there was probably a lag effect was catching up and then and then the acceleration. So all of these understanding what's really going on in these marketplaces mm. does make a big difference. For sure. And also you Tenerife's can a really interesting one because it's it's such a small suburb. It is the smallest suburb in Brisbane. There are very mm. few houses there. So it's a great stat and it tells a fabulous media-based story, but it's not very helpful. No, because if you've got a really small suburb, there's only a small amount of sales. Only a couple of and transactions. And it doesn't take much to skew the data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So but there's don't, always... Don't, don't aspire to live in Tenerife unless, unless you have many millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's always... They've got lovely views, don't they, of, of yeah, Brisbane really City nice. and the river and stuff. In the river. And they're high, so they're not going to get flooded. <laughs> So I shouldn't laugh. Down um, upon those right. who are with wet feet. Yes. Yes. Mm. Now, there are always exceptions, of course, even in a property boom. And mm. I guess the question is, do you really want to buy into the exception? Because losing money while everybody else is making money is, is actually insane. Yeah. Yeah. 
and history is a fairly good predictor of the future. So I, I think it's important that we look at it. But again, we need to dig under the surface of these statistics and say, well, why are these areas losing money? Why have they gone backwards in five years when everything else has gone forwards? And has it been rapid or has it been over time? Or, you know, what what's mm. how has this actually been? Has there been something happen in that particular suburb that has caused a rapid decline in prices? You know, um, you know something that we can put our fingers on in Brisbane quite easily is flood. So mm. when there has been a period of non-flood you know, activity that hasn't affected properties, people start to forget but prices will rapidly drop in a in a suburb, even if a property wasn't flood affected. Um, sometimes because it you know the the tar you know, the suburb gets tarred with the same brush. Is that the saying? Yes, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but again, even if the, yeah. there is many properties in that suburb that didn't, so there are factors that can actually influence. And I think delving into that is more important than just looking at the stats. And you can also look at history. Like you said, history is a good predictor of the future. I mean, like, you know, Perth has underperformed compared to the rest of the country for a decade, and Darwin has been the absolute terrible performer. Um, and so, you know, you say, well, they've got history of not not performing very well over time. So what would have suddenly happened to have changed that pattern? You know, what was causing mm. the history, you know, has that changed? And and you could argue that in, in certain mining towns, for instance, no, definitely Darwin, no. And they've had some price growth, for instance, um, in areas over 2021, purely because the whole country seemed to be going up. So, <laughs> but it's relative as well. I mean, their price growth would be, was at a much smaller amount than other places. And, you know, funnily enough, only South Australia and Tasmania have not had a single suburb fall in value over the past five years. And I wonder why that is. Yeah. Well, it still sits in the affordable range, doesn't it? So Mm. um, both of those suburbs um, have come from very, very, very low cost base. (laughs) Areas have come from very low cost base. Uh, And it might be argued that it was their opportunity to attract the lower end investors and first home buyers yeah um, and that's probably why we've seen that push in demand to those sorts of areas because of their price mm. points and the problem of course with that is if the prices are going up because of investor activity particularly if those investors are coming from elsewhere that's a warning sign that's a danger sign but one thing too i think particularly south australia and tassie the public and i'm and look, i'm just coming up with an idea here rather than actually having hard data to back this up but potentially less unit development because a lot of oversupplied areas, mm. that unit data drags down mm. all of the data. So once again, you've got to get in there, get granular and get to understand what sort of properties is are going up versus what sort of properties are going down in value. Because when we dig further into this uh, article, a lot is units yeah in fact the vast yeah, a lot majority of what's of reported it. in the in the article is it, it, mm. it's, it's, there's no doubt about it and and you know is is it because of interstate investors as you mentioned or the unit developments the other thing about unit development so when you bring you know one of the things that we talk about in the course and is is scarcity so when you've got an area that can't have a, a great deal of higher density development, then you can't increase the supply of the property. You can't make more land. Mm. If you can't go up, you've, you've got to go out. So if there is a lot more units that come in and that becomes an attractive proposition because of the price points to people who might be investors, first home buyers, um, then that can have that can take the demand away from the houses in, in those areas because 
you know, a lot of people don't want to live in an area that's got a huge amount of high-rise units if they're on a, a house and freehold land. They prefer to go to a lower-density area. So bringing those kinds of developments in can actually affect the the demand for the houses in those areas mm-hmm. and put downward pressure on them. Also, if you've got a few houses scattered in amongst high-unit development, it's not a particularly pleasant living environment. <laughs> so people might look at it and go, wow, I can buy a really cheap house but it's in amongst four or five blocks of units and you don't get any sunshine. There's no you know, ventilation's terrible. You've, you're just completely blocked it at all angles by these blocks of units. And often parking in the street is really hard when you've got mm. lots and lots of people trying to all converge post-workday or head out of their, their complexes. So these can get very, very busy. And if you're a person who wants to live in a freehold home, that can become quite unattractive. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, people go, oh, but houses are always better than units. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's the exception to the rule. Depends. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in Canberra, homes in just two sub- suburbs cost less than they did five years ago. And in both of those areas, it was only units, not houses. Mm. So, so this is, you know, once again, it's like, oh, great, Canberra, where would I go? Oh, I've got to buy a unit in Bruce or be, you know, Bruce or um, the CBD. And Canberra has had its fair share of overdevelopment as well. But I guess, too, one of the things that would actually inflate prices in any particular year is when new developments are first mm. completed. And so, you know, and I've seen this, you know, that, and once again, this thro- skews the data. It makes one year look really expensive sometimes because one unit development was completed and sold. Yeah. And buyers tend to pay a premium for brand new units. So it makes it look like the median price is going up, but all they've done is just change the stock. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to look in those areas, you've got to look at resale of established stock rather Mm. than looking at sales of new stock. Um, And that takes a bit of work. It takes a little bit of work to delve into that information to, to see what is actually impacting prices. Are they going up? Are they going down? It's the resale of established stocks without improvement between the two sale dates that will give you a bit more of an accurate picture. And we talk about that quite a lot in the course and when doing the evaluation component. Mm. But but I, I, I mean, I, I think the thing that's just come into my head as we talk through this, as often when we talk, things just roll on <laughs> that weren't actually part <laughs> of the, the original process. But we're talking about, this article talks about suburbs where properties are cheaper now than they were five years ago. Does that necessarily mean that they're cheap or just cheap? Ah, good point. So we're not necessarily saying that these are, um, or the article perhaps isn't necessarily pointing out or differentiating between the the median prices in these areas or what you can buy, what your money would buy. It's just simply saying that at some point the prices in those areas were higher than what they are now. And I think the investigation into why that is, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, is far more important than the, the headline itself. Mm. You know, if we go back to 10 years, you know, this is this is the thing. Uh, like in Darwin, for instance, the Northern Territory, because they've got like two suburbs where prices are lower than they were in 2017. So the cost of a unit in Darwin City is 19.9% lower now than it was uh, five years ago, and the median price is, is like 432500 right? right? Um, and the co- cost of a house in Humpty Doo. I love How that. How could you live in a place for Humpty Doo? I love that. <laughs> um, which is a commuter town, 40 minutes drive. Why would you commute in Darwin? It's not exactly got a huge population. Um, the houses 
are 3.8% cheaper than they were five years ago. But if you go back 10 years in Darwin, you know, like it's it's quite shocking actually that people have invested. And if you live there and you live in your home, it's a different proposition. But so many people invested money in Darwin. And the pain and gain report that CoreLogic put out every every quarter, Darwin is the star performer, if you call it a star. Um, or they get the gong every single quarter without fail for the highest amount of loss-making properties. So it's terribly, it's not terribly an tragic. Want, is it? Mm. Yeah. And I guess we don't have many um, uh, listeners wanting to buy a home in Darwin, but if you are, you know, that you've, you've really got to sort of think a lot mm. about that because, you know, that that is probably – we <laughs> we did an episode a few weeks back about when it's better to actually rent rather than buy. Yeah. Maybe it's better to rent if you're living in Darwin and buy elsewhere <laughs> and as a rent investor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. have a really good think about that. Now, in New South Wales, there are a number of suburbs where homes are selling for less than 2017 prices. And interestingly, they're all in Sydney and they're all units. Yep. 17 and, suburbs. Yeah, and all nearly all of them have had massive new developments. The theme and happening agents- here, isn't there? Oh, yeah, there's a theme. <laughs> Agents have been quoted as saying that ongoing supply, even in neighbouring suburbs, has put a dent in prices, and I've mm. seen that, actually. Um, and if this continues, there'll be potentially no capital growth to be expected in the next five years. So, you know, don't be rushing off to buy an apartment in Botany or Ride or or <laughs> North Ride, I should say, those sort of places. Um, and the answer really is uniqueness and, and a finite supply. And one, funnily enough, Newtown, which is actually where I live, is on the list. <laughs> it's number 17. But and there have been massive prices paid for units, though, in this same suburb. So whilst it's on the list as prices, the median price of units apparently is less than it was five years ago, I find that interesting because this is where data can be very misleading mm. because mm. honestly particularly last year, some of the prices paid for units in this area with scarcity factor were absolutely eye-watering. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's that granularity that we we always harp on about. So whilst that statistic looks bad for the suburb and property type of units, as you say, if you dig into that scarcity factor, which might be views that can't be built out it might be size of the unit itself you know certainly three mm. four bedroom is they're in high demand for downsizes um facilities within the complex body corporate levies all those sorts of things can come into to play when we're talking about the uniqueness of a unit and yes they can you know art deco style the older mm. styles that may have been in really unique buildings that aren't going to be replicated because there's no money to be made in those for developers or a converted so, warehouse yeah you know? all those things that have they're not going to be remade they're not they can't be mass reproduced but a two-bedroom, two-bathroom or a one-bed, one-bath are easy to reproduce. Very, and they prove it by continuing to reproduce them. <laughs> <laughs> en masse. Now, Melbourne suburbs, things like uh, places like Doncaster, Turak, South Bank and Armidale have suffered the bulk of their price falls over the last couple of years as the COVID property trend that favoured houses particularly on the outer suburbs and regions, left inner city units lagging behind. Now, of course, we saw uh, uh, the greatest net migration 
a decrease in net migration um, in Melbourne from from Victoria um, as people left what was a really difficult time. Mm. Uh, but other suburbs that have recorded negative results for units over the five-year period, such as you know, Carlton, Melbourne City and South Yarra, are actually back on the, on the rise. They're starting to recover a little bit from their wobbly boot period um but again does that make it does that mean that it's a good time to buy you'd have to have a look at all of the factors that sit around that why did it have an increase why is it having an increase and are there factors coming in like another lot of new developments that may actually mm. push the prices back down again and that's the thing i mean there's there's still a lot of opportunity to develop in lots of places so it's really important to like aerial maps are a great starting point there just mm. see if they're well what sort of sites are still available um but also in, in of some of these have development maps so you can actually go yeah. there are sites that um uh actually place uh visually developments that have been um submitted but not approved mm. have been submitted and approved have been submitted approved and construction has started so you can see at different phases mm. of, of that development what might be going into different areas fabulous really great free source of information online what the pot uh, well we should check the the chuck the link in the show notes shouldn't we'll we will do that you will do that um and i think too the other thing with with urban renewal is that sometimes you don't necessarily know you can't sort of see on a map like um you can certainly see what's been approved uh what megan was just talking about there but where whereas with um, subdivisions and the edges of towns and cities or whatever, you can actually see on a map all these sites, all these just land that could yeah. be repurposed, whereas in urban renewal areas, sometimes they're massive industrial sites. So some you need to familiarise yourself with what council's plan planning and also the state governments in many times, many cases have got urban renewal programs. And those things can last a decade to get developed. And in that whole time, there can be a real constraint on growth. And in fact, because in Melbourne, like 16 suburbs in that um, in Melbourne really fall into this category and topping the list with a shocking 44% reduction of prices since um, 2017 is East Melbourne. Now, if that data doesn't scare you off a brand new apartment, I'm not sure what will, mm. but you've also got to ask is the data reliable because you talk about composition bias that and that is really where you've got to dig into it to work out well what is likely to fall in value or not grow in value versus what is likely to grow in value because the crap falls more than the good stuff and it actually skews the data so mm. local knowledge is so important yeah and and just digging down into the property type within that data and that's mm. that's hard to do, but you can do it by looking at sold properties um, during during the period that's actually being reported on. You can have a one bedroom apartment sells for one hundred and fifteen thousand. You can you can have a a fabulous three bedroom apartment with views that might be one point five two million dollars. Um, yeah, one might have gone down, one might have gone up on resale. So it's really important to dig underneath it and, and make sure you're looking at the right right stats. Yeah, because when you are looking in an area where there's a diversity of stock, um, you know, yeah, the stats don't tell the story at all. Now, Queensland units tell the same story as New South Wales and Victoria, and that we had a huge amount of supply come on, and units are not things that Queenslanders want to live in. They want to have their <laughs> feet on the ground. They want the sunshine. They want the outdoors. But leafy inner-city favourites like Windsor, which is a really well-regarded suburb, Indrapilly, also well-regarded with good public and private schools. Belimba, one of the highest 
uh, household mm. income suburbs in Queensland, and Woolawan, which is just beautiful and leafy. They're all more affordable than they were in 2017, thanks to an oversupply of units. So we're talking units, not houses. Mm. Um, but we're starting to absorb that supply because a lot of developments were actually shelved when prices were experiencing um, some downward trends. Uh, the latest domain data found that Brisbane unit prices rose by a huge, the biggest price range of price growth that we've seen in units in Brisbane by 9.3% over the 12 months to March to a record median of 437,000 uh, odd. So I, I think that absorbing of the existing oversupply the net migration that has come in from interstate and expats moving back from overseas during the COVID period has actually soaked up a lot of that supply. I think it's really, really important that people don't see that as an ongoing trend without taking into account more stock that might come on because we will mm. see the same sort of problem if we see that oversupply again and we start to see net migration um, settle down to its normal levels and start to see some um, exodus of people going back overseas and back into state for employment opportunities. So really, really a massive word of caution there about units in, in Brisbane because we had such a strong influx of people and nobody leaving. It's going to change. So be really, 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 really cautious about um, thinking that that's good, uh, strong growth statistics for Brisbane over the long term. Such a good example of how you could inadvertently make a huge mistake purely because you're looking at data. <laughs> and, you know, this might have your head spinning, but we do teach you how to do this in the course. <laughs> so yeah. because this and, is really eyes wide open. Yeah, it's really important that, you know, you're going to make this huge decision buying your first property. You just, like Megan said, eyes wide open, take responsibility and learn this stuff because it's easy to make a huge mistake. We've just given you all these examples of people who have lost money. If, if, Avoidable. If prices are falling in these areas in certain types of properties, then people have bought them and lost money. And they may not be actually selling them and they think that they haven't lost money, but you only really lose it when you actually realise that loss. <laughs> but, you know, if you had to sell it and you're going to get less than you paid, then you have made a loss. And we don't want that for you because it is avoidable. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.